Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Acts 12, the message. That's when King Herod got into his head to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother. When he saw how much it raised in popularity ratings with the Jews, he arrested Peter. All this during Passover week, mind you. And had him thrown in jail, putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, he was planning a public lynching after Passover. All the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church prayed for him most strenuously. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out out for the kill. That night, even though shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place. Herod was taking no chances. Suddenly, there was an angel at, the side, at his side and light flooding the room. The angel shook Peter and got him up. Hurry! The handcuffs fell off his wrist. The angel said, get dressed. Put on your shoes. Peter did it. Then, grab your coat and let's get out of here. Peter followed him but didn't believe it was really an angel. He thought he was having a dream. Past the first guard and then the second. They came to an iron gate that led into the city. It swung open before them on its own. And they were out on the street, free as the breeze. So I love the message translation. Free as the breeze. At the first intersection, the angel left him, going his own way. That's when Peter realized it was no dream. I can't believe it. This really happened. The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and the spectacle the Jewish mob was looking forward, forward to. Still, shaking his head, amazed, he went to Mary's house, the Mary who was John Mark's mother. The house was packed with praying friends when he knocked on the door to the courtyard. A young woman named Rhoda came to see who it was, but when she recognized his voice, Peter's voice, she was so excited and eager to tell everyone Peter was there that she forgot to open the door and left him standing in the street. But they wouldn't believe her, dismissing her, dismissing her report. You're crazy, they said. She stuck by her story, insisting. They still wouldn't believe her and said, it must be his angel. All this time, poor Peter was standing in the street, knocking away. How would you like that? You just walked out of a maximum security prison and you go home and they won't let you in. Finally, they opened up and saw him and went wild. Peter put his hands up and calmed them down. He described how the master had gotten him out of jail, then said, tell James and the brothers what happened. He left them and went off to another place. We're gonna title today's message Under Lock and Key. And the three points that I'm gonna take y'all through in the next few moments are the lock, the key, and then finally, the key master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you that, that in scripture, 
is the keys and the source of life. Father, I ask that your word be seed that falls upon good soil today. Father, all the ears that are listening to this today, whether they're in the house or online watching, may this seed take root in their life. May it grow, may it develop, may it bring forth fruit, Father, so that the world would see your goodness and your favor on the earth today. And all God's people said, Amen. Looking at the lock, or rather, the faith that gets placed in the lock. Faith in the lock. The term under lock and key is is one that we're all familiar with. It's a term that we use when we want to describe how well something is secured, right? Oh, my, my grandmother's jewelry that I inherited, I keep that under lock and key. You know, we, we talk about safe deposit boxes. Oh, well, I wanna make sure that those documents are somewhere safe and secure. They're under lock and key. We also use it as a, a way of, of mitigation to, to bring safety into our lives. We have locks on our doors, locks on our cars, locks on our cell phones, Locks everywhere we turn of things that we want to provide safety or an element of safety to. I, I'm a nut when it comes to a lock. If there's a lock, it's locked, right? Otherwise, why did, why did we install it there? So if I'm in the house, all the doors are locked. If I'm in the car, the doors are gonna be locked. If I'm out of the car, the doors are gonna be locked. There's times I'm sitting in my office here with my office door shut. Somebody comes and knocks on my door, I say, come in, and they grab the handle only to meet that defeat of the door is. And at that point, it's kind of funny, and if they really want to get in, they'll make sure I get up and come let them in. But, but we look at locks to provide that element of safety. We, we look at them to provide that element of security. But if each one of us were actually honest on what we were attempting to accomplish with the lock, it would probably sound a little bit more like control. We want to take something and we want to control it. We want to take things that we don't want exposed to elements or other people and we want to control it. We want to take circumstances even and control them. In my research of of locks, quickly an individual in American history, I guess at this point, would be the great Harry Houdini, a name we're all very familiar with. Not that any of us in here ever saw him perform. Maybe you've seen uh, some of the movies that were created or just read some of the tales of his, his escape arts. But Harry Houdini was, was born, his, his name was Eric Weiss. He was born March 24th, 1874, and he lived until October 31st, 1926. He was a Hungarian-born American escape artist, illusionist, and stunt performer, noted for his escape acts. He first attracted notice in vaudeville in the United States, then as Harry Handcuff Houdini on a tour of Europe, where he challenged police forces to keep, their, to keep him locked up. Soon he extended his, uh, his act to include chains, ropes slung from skyscrapers, straight jackets. I think that's one of the most notable you know, when you think of Harry Houdini as the straight jacket routine, straight jackets underwater, 
and having to escape from and hold his breath inside a sealed milk can with water in it. From 1907 and throughout the the 1910s, Houdini performed with great success in the United States. He freed himself from jails, handcuffs, chains, ropes, and straitjackets, often while hanging from a rope in the sight of a street audience. During his career, Houdini explained some of his tricks in books written for the Magic Brotherhood. In Handcuffed Secrets, printed in 1909, he revealed how many locks, now listen to this, how many locks and handcuffs could be opened with properly applied force, others with shoestrings. Other times he carried concealed lock picks or keys when tied down in ropes and straitjackets, he gained wiggle room by enlarging his shoulders and chest, moving his arms slightly away from his body. He got sued, or rather, he sued a lot for people trying to mimic what he was doing. And one time, he had a, uh, a police chief or someone, and when I was reading about him, he had a police chief take him to court, alleging that uh, he would bribe, and that's how he would, he would get out of it. He would you know, make a bribe, make a deal, and he would get the keys or whatever to get out of the situation he was in. He actually took that police chief to court, and the judge ruled in Houdini's favor on one caveat, and that caveat was that Houdini had to go and open up the judge's private safe in his, in his quarters away from the bench. And he did that with success. He later wrote that the judge had simply forgot to lock (laughs) that safe. But if you look at his success and what it actually revolved around was the subject matter that he performed with. His audiences were enamored and blown away with the subject matter of what he was able to do, and that's because the audience put a large stock and a large faith in the locks that would bind him. They were blown away that he got free of the locks because locks shouldn't be able to get free from. When he was bound, he shouldn't be able to get out of those. I mean, we're talking about straight jackets, but it was actually his success was related to the level of faith that the audience already had invested in something that he knew the workaround of. Simple shoelaces even would free him from those locks. You see, Harry Houdini knew one secret, and it's that locks are only as strong as the key it takes to unlock them. Now, if we go back to the text, we see where a similar faith in locks occurred. In Acts chapter 12, verses one through six, we read that, That's when Herod, now listen, that's when Herod got it into his head to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother, when he saw how much it raised his popularity ratings with the Jews. He then arrested Peter, all this during Passover week, mind you, and had him thrown in jail, putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. He was planning a public lynching after Passover. All the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church, 
prayed for him most strenuously. Verse six. Then the time came for Herod to bring him out for the kill. That night, even though shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, Peter slept like a baby. And there were guards at the door keeping their eyes on the place because Herod was taking no chances. See, Herod was worried about something at that time. Herod began to realize he was losing control in his kingdom. Christianity was on the rise. The church was emerging and Herod felt that power and that status slipping from his grasp. And Herod, in an attempt to control, decided to take and put his faith in that jail cell locks. He decided, I need to deal with this right now, and I'm going to put it somewhere, I'm gonna put it away somewhere so that I can deal with it on my terms and on my timing. I wanna put it under lock and key. I want it somewhere secured. He wanted Peter somewhere controlled. This, this method's not out of the ordinary for humanity. You see, we too want things put under lock and key. We can find ourselves putting our faith in locks to restrain things, to hold them, and even to control them. And so what happens in life as, as we go through it, we, we encounter those things that we can't control. We take those, those messy things that we just, we don't know what else to do with. We take them and we decide we, we, need, to, we need to put it away somewhere, but, but it's gotta be somewhere controlled. It's gotta be somewhere shut up. We take the broken things in our lives that we don't know what else to do with. We don't, we don't know how to trust anybody with this. We just, we just wanna take it and put it under lock and key. We, we take, when, when the enemy comes in and he violates us, we take those things and we say, okay, this, I don't know how to hand this to somebody. I don't know how to carry this. I don't know what else to do with this, but I need to control it. I need to take these, these things, these confidential things, these, these secrets, these these things I don't know what to do with, and I just need to put them away somewhere. And so we turn to, to the situation of the lock and the key, and we, we put our faith in it, we place those things in there, and we control it. And we deal with it by putting it away. We saw this when, when Jesus encountered the demoniac that had been possessed with legion. The townsfolk all knew about this situation. They all knew exactly where this man was because they had a situation that they didn't know what to do with and they took that man and they put him out in the cemeteries, in the caves. And it says even at times they attempted to bind him with ropes, but he would break the ropes. And then they took locks and chains and he would break the locks and the chains, they just wanted that situation put away and under lock and key. But their faith in locks and keys didn't work. What it took was Jesus arriving on the scene. What it took was Jesus freeing that man from the situation that plagued him. 
If we read past verse 17 in chapter 12, we'd actually see that Herod gets so frustrated having found out that Peter had escaped that he had all of those guards executed. And then he left the region. He went down to another place. He was embarrassed at that point. He went down to another place and he began to give a speech there. And they said it was, the Bible gives the account that it was such such a great speech that men began to applaud him and they began to call him a God and in that moment he didn't deny it. God sent an angel and killed Herod. What we really need to understand this morning, and this is just the first point but I could land it here if we had to, what you really need to understand is when we attempt to put things under lock and key, when we attempt to just put them away, there is actually an element. There's actually an element and a facet of your destiny that you shut up with it. And when you take something that is just so messy and so broken and so hurting and so confusing and you just put it away and you lock it down, Trust me, there's an element of your destiny that just got shut up and locked in there with it. I, I see this. When we sit down and we, we counsel with individuals, whether it be through trauma or, or whatever it is that, that has brought them there to that point, and, and you, you see what's going on, and Holy Spirit begins to illuminate and direct you in a path to begin to, to go with them, and, and they're talking about the situations, and then all of a sudden you begin to approach that thing that they've locked up, and they... Fear away. They don't want you anywhere near that. Because in their minds, it's controlled. It's shut away. And and I've sat there, it's heartbreaking. I've sat there across from these individuals and and not pushing them, but giving them opportunities, saying, well, Holy Spirit wants to talk about this, wants to free you of this. Holy Spirit wants to heal you in that broken area. And the ones who decide to leave it under lock and key are the ones who walk away and they don't get that freedom. They don't get to experience that moment. They stay in their grave clothes attempting to bind that thing the rest of their lives because they're, they don't realize that their destiny, their destiny got shut up in there with it. A portion of their destiny, what they're called to do on this earth got shut up with it and locked it down locked it down, failing to realize that they locked up their destiny and that their destiny was also locked in. Destiny under lock and key. This morning I wanna invite you to, rather than begin or continue to place our trust or your trust and have faith in locks, we better need to understand keys. Which brings me to my next point, because keys, like Houdini showed us, or excuse me, locks, are only as strong as the key is secure. To understand keys, we really need to understand the key process, right? I mean, keys are not a difficult concept, okay? I know that first point may have been a little heavy, but let's, let's camp out here for just a second. Keys are not a difficult process, right? Now, they're making them difficult because they're becoming electronic, and I wanna hit the button and it should work, just like I should be able to stick a key in the lock and turn it, right? 
But keys are not a difficult concept to understand. Key grants you access to the lock, the lock turns, it either unlocks or it locks, right? Not hard. But when it comes to a process of how a key is made, that becomes a little bit more involved, okay? Because when we think of uh, go have a key made, we're actually thinking of the process of key duplicating, okay? That's a little different than having a key made. So I looked up when you have a lock that you do not have a key for and it's locked and you need access to it and you're not from Southeast Texas where we have really big bolt cutters or uh, cutting torches, you have to go get a locksmith to do a process called an impression. Now, that, that, to me, that sounds pretty easy, like they just shoot some sort of hardening uh, chemical in there and then they pull it out and they've got a key made. No, that's, that's not how it works at all. They first have to find a blank that was intended and manufactured for that lock. Then the next thing they do, and I don't know if, I've never witnessed this in my life, so I, that's why I'm telling you about it. The next thing they do is they then file down that blank razor thin. So they file it down to where it has almost no, no depth to it at all. It's still the same profile of the key blank, but it, it's not very thick at all. And once they've got it filed down to where it's not thick at all and it's razor thin, they begin to insert it in that lock and they begin to twist on it. They, be, they begin to apply pressure and what they're attempting to do is get that razor thin metal to come up against those tumblers inside that lock and make an impression on it. And then they pull it out and they look at it and they take it over to their workbench and they begin to file where they see those impressions. And then they go back to that lock and they put it back in and they begin to twist harder on it. The goal not being to unlock the lock but the goal to get an impression made on that key so they know where to cut. The biggest thing we have to understand about keys is keys have to get cut. Well. It takes the process. It takes the cutting, the uncomfortable, the turning, the twisting, the pressure applied for a key to be a key and to be an effective key. The, the next thing we see that I do want to spend a moment on is once you have a now cut key that works on that lock, then you can go through the process of key duplicating and that's the one that we all are familiar with when you go to the hardware stores to the locksmiths and you say, I need a copy of this key. They are able to take now an original key and they're able to take that original key, they place it over here on this vise in this key cutting machine and they put in a blank up next to it and that device, that tool, follows the already impressioned and cut master key while cutting the duplicate. But both processes, one a little bit easier than the other if we admit it, but both processes still require cutting. Both processes still are a process. Keys can only unlock after they have gone through the process of being cut. In Isaiah 22, verses 22, chapter 22 and verse 22, a simple verse that we're all familiar with. It says in the New King James Version, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no man shall shut and he shall shut and no man shall open. We understand that the scripture is giving you keys, but more importantly, it's giving you the ability to open 
and close. The ability to open and close. But trust me, before that ability shows up, there's a process you have to go through. I told you briefly in the introduction of kind of my history here, but the, the history of, in, in a nutshell, real fast, seems great, and it, and it always has been. But I also mentioned there's been ups and there's been downs. And being called at age 16 to, to preach, then furthering that development later on in my early 20s by going to Christ for the Nations, and then coming back, getting married, and, and being developed in this house further has been a process. It's had its up, up, up moments, and it's had its down moments at times. But both moments were just as critical. Both moments were facets of a key being cut. You see, when we were going up, 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 we're, we're launching this junior high youth ministry, we're getting married, things are looking great, I'm taking over the facilities department, now we're ready to start having kids. Then the first down moment hits. And we find ourselves sitting across from doctor's desks discussing what we need to do to be able to have children. And I, I remember when it was coming down the line of, of the gravity of the situation and, and attempting to you know, just weigh it out and, and look at it. I remember I was walking across this parking lot one day between buildings and praying and saying, Lord, I, I know what the road is that's set before us and the, what it's gonna do to, to Meredith. And I just wanna ask you to spare her of that. Just, just spare her of it. Just, just work a miracle like you can do, Lord. Just make it easy. Just make it easy. You, you can do it. I know you can. So, as real as I've ever heard the Lord in my life, and I've heard him several times, I heard his voice very clear, and he, he asked me, the Holy Spirit asked me, he said, why do you want me, excuse me, why do you want to rob her of this experience with me? Now, that's pretty heavy. So I just stepped back and said, okay, Lord, you do what only you can do, and I'll be right here supporting it. And so watching that journey and, and what it did in my wife and my relationship, and still sitting on the front row with her right now is our four-year-old, so you know the fruit of it. Yeah. But, but when he said, why do you want me to rob her of that? I was going to rob her of a facet to be cut in a key for a lock for her to unlock one day rob her of the process. I wanna say a statement, but I want you to take it with maturity. Locked doors equal a process that you've yet to go through. Now, I'm not talking about doors that should be locked, okay? I'm not talking about you walking out of here and calling your ex, saying, hey, let's go hang out, okay? There's certain doors that need to stay locked, right? Okay. There are certain doors that are locked, yes, but there are locked doors that have your destiny on the other side, that have things for you on the other side that you need to go through the process to unlock. I, I love, I was listening to a podcast with John and Lisa Bevere one time, and I'm paraphrasing what they said. I don't have the quote exactly correct, but the essence was, he, meaning God, gives the promise because you're about to encounter the process, and he knows 
There's going to be times in that process you're going to have to take a breath. Say, okay, what are we doing, Lord? Why well, we got to do it this way? Okay, here we go. Fast forward seven years after I came back from Christ for the Nations and came on staff here. It's around 2018. Uh, Pastor Felshaw gets a call to come guest lecture in, in one of their uh, general assemblies. So he invites some of the other staff to come with him and, and we leave early in the morning and get there in time for this general assembly for him to be guest lecturing in. And I hadn't been back on the campus since I graduated and left. So it had been right at seven years and, and I'm walking back on that campus and, and I wasn't expecting it. I, I'm standing in that auditorium and all of a sudden I was overcome with emotion. And it was like the last seven years began to just play. You know, I went back and I had the familiar smells of, of being young and excited about ministry and, and all the things we're gonna go do and having those late night dorm room conversations with other guys and, and, and watching them take off and go do things. And, and so I just all of a sudden began to watch the last seven years prior to that play through my mind during that worship set. And I remember having a, a personal conversation with Holy Spirit in that moment going, why did we have to go through all of that? And you know, him knowing what I was referencing, you know, different, again, there was highs and there was lows, but he knew what I was referencing. So why did you have to take me through that, and then just as clear as I hear him when he speaks, he said, you know why. I said, yes, sir, I know why. You see, when you truly understand a process and when you truly value, when, when the first key gets cut in your life and you get to unlock that door, you quickly begin to understand that the process is cutting you to unlock something he has for not only you, but those coming behind you. There's a process and a level of faith in our lives that is not only for you, but for you to show somebody behind you. If you, if you look in our key text in chapter 12, verse five, which is a real simple verse that I pulled this from, it says, all the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church was praying for him most strenuously. The church is sitting there having watched one be executed and now Peter in chains and in Herod's jail wondering, is this our future? We're emerging, but we're encountering, op we're encountering opposition. Is this our future? And they were wondering what precedent will be set in this moment. Thank God the precedent was the key was cut and Peter came knocking on their door and Herod's jail was not the church's future. We have these same moments when it comes to generational curses. We have these same moments when it comes to new business ventures and ideas and things that you sit and you just don't know, am I able, am I capable, can I do this? new ideas. There are things out there locked up in the heart and mind of God that he's been giving over the generations to his children, but 
If they don't go through the process, they won't open it. You see, we, we see this clear in scripture because it says Jesus holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, right? He holds the keys to it, but Jesus too went through the process to hold those keys. He went through the cross. You see, the Bible also called him the first of many, and so we see that illustration of not only for him, but for all of us coming behind him. If Transitioning to my last point, if we choose to stay in the process until complete, we'll, we'll understand that a key's, value, a key's value actually comes from our from the key master. You see, as the facilities manager here, keys are in my everyday life. This is not my set because I got tired of having to buy blue jeans because the belt loops kept breaking, okay? And I tried every belt clip, I tried everything. And so I, I used to would carry this around for years, a decade. You know, I mean, I started working here when I was 16. I'd carry a set of keys like this around and I had a lot of doors that I needed to get into and needed access to. And then when I took over and I would go to a locksmith and I'd have keys made and he uh, looked at me one day and said, okay, and do you want a master cut? And I went, excuse me? He said, yeah, do you, I mean, we can, we can have all these different doors on all their different keys, but then we can also cut you a master key. And I said, I'm gonna need one master key for every door. Now that's not realistic because this building alone actually has, this building alone, not including exterior doors, actually has 118 interior doors. And about 99% of those have locks on them. But understanding a master key and just shifting the dynamic in my life. But then when, now there was a debate this morning, not a long debate, he, actually he doesn't even know he was in a debate. Uh, and I don't see him in here anyway. But uh, Pastor David looked at me this morning and said, oh, thanks for, or you're welcome for the idea. And I said, for what? And he said, I saw your notes and for the key master. And I went, no, when Pastor Christy came on staff here and it was time for her to get her keys, uh, Julia was, Julia, her daughter was aware of it and she then quickly referred to me as the key master. Now, David's not in here to defend himself. He says, there he is. This is, this is better than daytime television. Come on. He seems to say that he has been calling me that for years. So I'll just chalk it up to you've been calling me that behind my back for years. I'm glad that that's all you've been saying behind my back, but talking about the key master, because truly the value of any key comes from the key master, because the key master is the one who has authority. They've got keys, but they have the authority, meaning if a rogue key gets out there, I can actually go and change that lock, because I understand the value of the contents behind the lock. I understand who should and who shouldn't have access. And so with that authority, they can change the game at any point. 
With that authority, they can have new keys cut. They can have old keys rendered useless. When, when someone sits as a key master, they understand something that I like to call key confidence. And if you've never, if you've never experienced this, then you won't understand the frustration of it. But when, when you're in charge of something and you hand someone a key to something and you say, hey, this fits such and such lock, go to it, and you give it to them and they go to that lock, and if the lock gives them any trouble at all, if it's just a little stiff, they come back to you and they say, hey, you gave me the wrong key. No, did you try wiggling it? Did you try, you know, all the tricks you learn on a, on a campus, right, when it gets some, some years under its belt. But they don't have key confidence because they, they weren't there when that key got cut for that lock. They don't understand that value. They don't understand that dynamic. So they come, they come back having not been able to open the lock. And that brings me to my final illustration. That was with the key drawer. This is a lot of keys. This represents a lot of locks. I, I don't know where the locks are. I don't know what's in them. I mean, we got, like, where do I even search for this lock? Can y'all see that? I, would, I wouldn't even know where to go find that lock. I mean, I, we're only, we've only been here about 102 years at this point as an establishment, so I know this lock doesn't belong to the history of this church anywhere. But this one is the real one that, surprise me. These are so special and so cared for that they got put in this Tupperware. Somebody did not want these, somebody did not want these to suffer the fate of the key drawer and they put them in a piece of Tupperware. No label. No treasure map. No you know, last will and testament, go to the key drawer and find the Tupperware, pull it out and unlock my safe deposit box. This one is probably my favorite and it was the, the heart key chain. It says piano FLC. It made the key drawer. And then this one, somebody really, really didn't wanna lose this key. does me no good. I got a drawer full of keys and I can be standing in front of a lock in a moment and it does me no good because the amount of days it would take me to find the key for that lock in there. I could better kick the door in or call a locksmith. Yeah. See, the process of keys means absolutely actually nothing if they're not in the hands of the key master. And for the rest of this morning, Please know that when I reference the key master, I'm not talking about the facilities director at 2350 East Tex Freeway. I'm talking about Jesus himself. I'm talking about actually who Peter even referenced when he gave credit to, to him being freed from the prison. In Acts 12, Peter says this, pass the guard, pass the first guard, and then the second, they came to the iron gate that led into the city. It swung open before them on its own. And they were out in the street, free as the breeze. 
At the first intersection, the angel left him going his own way. That's when Peter realized it was no dream. I can't believe it. This really happened. The master sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's vicious little production and spectacle the Jewish mob was looking forward to. The master. Stay with the master. When you stay with the master, you'll understand Holy Spirit confidence. That when you walk up to a door and it's time to open it, you'll open it and no man will shut it. When you walk up to a door and it's time to close it, you'll close it and no man will open it. Isaiah 61, verse one. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. Isaiah 61 gives you the promise of what happens when you stay in the hands of the key master. Because keys are intended to set captives free. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.